0: Um, thanks very much, uh, Jenny. That wasn't an, wasn't an easy passage, but I didn't deliberately set it to trap you. Um, just let me mention one more book, and it's still there. So just one more. Now, those who've been here in the past know that I um, I, I really love this book. I would argue this is one of the best. Two Christian books published in the last 80 years, and uh, the other really good one isn't on the bookstall. So this is the best, as it were. Um, so those who've been here before, you've probably had this, but if you've not, I really, really rate this book. What the Bible is all about by Henrietta Mears. Billy Graham used to give this away, a, a much thinner edition of a tinier print. In the hundreds of thousands, and I got my first free copy like that from Billy Graham, I used it so much it fell apart. I bought another copy, I used it so much it fell apart. I'm li- I'm, honestly, I'm on my third edition of this. It's just wonderful. Every book of the Bible has about six or eight pages introducing it, who wrote it, why it was written, how it... Uh, pictures Christ, how it portrays the gospel, things to look for in studying, and how you can just go over it in a, uh, in a, in a week or two, depending on the length of it. This is one gem. It really is a gem. And um, they've got £10 here. It's worth it, and it should be $18. So that's a good exchange rate. But I can't see Tim. Well, I'm not going to look at Tim. So look, uh, I'm looking at this camera. I think that says eight pounds. Eight pounds today, okay? So eight pounds, and really, it is a total... You could give this to a non-Christian, and it's fascinating. A young Christian would find so much stuff in here. And do you know, here I am. I've been a Christian for (laughs) years, and and I still use this book. I just really, really rate it. So there we are. It's, It's over there. We thanked um phyllis and janice we're really grateful but to be honest we're grateful to all of you the um it's just super really to have you all here and uh i don't know i've been really blessed these last three days i'm sure we all have but uh the way we've interacted and the way we've learned and seen what god is doing in different places it is very very encouraging we've had a tough uh couple of years and i don't know that the church has come out of this altogether well um there's no doubt there are some people showing spiritual interest who you didn't think were showing interest before COVID. And um, the person who lives opposite, Dan Hill. Is Dan has he gone? I can't see Dan. But, yeah, he's gone. Okay, found him out. And uh, But lives next door but one to, to us. A shepherd. He came to the Yorkshire Camps open day. He hasn't been to church for decades. And then he came to the Yorkshire Camps carols around the, the open fire. Then he came to our church carol service. Then he came to the Christmas Day service. Listen to this, all you who have churches that didn't have a Boxing Day evening service. He came to the Boxing Day evening service. And he's been to every service once a week since. Something is going on in his heart. Now, before that, I, it was just, you know, totally godless man. And it showed him the words he used, the language. But that stopped. I'm not saying he's converted yet. But... But you sort of think, I wonder how much COVID has got to do with all of this. He's lonely, wants to meet people. He's been hemmed in his house for this length of time. He knows people who've died because he's told me about them. And, well, he's, and I'm sure lots of you can tell stories like this. But it's been tough. I feel probably our greatest loss is going to be with the children and teenagers of non-Christian families. And if we're going to really pray and work at getting somebody back, I think we've got to somehow reach there. I'm not negating what was said about reaching older people at all. And that's why I thought, let's let's look at this. Yes, it's a slightly unusual passage, but have the Bible open at Judges 5. And let's see Deborah's reflection on a battle. So it's a debrief on a battle. I think we're all familiar with the book of Judges. If not, you need to get Henrietta. Anyway, we've done that. And um, um, there's this cycle, isn't there? There's a cycle of idolatry and immorality amongst the people of God. And and yet they get desperate because um, they're oppressed. And so they call on the name of the Lord. The Lord answers and raises up a judge who's going to deliver them. And uh, there's a wonderful deliverance, and yet there's a sort of then decline back into idolatry and immorality, and so on. Once again, they're oppressed. So once again, they call on the name of the Lord, and God. And so this cycle goes on and on. We get that in in the book of Judges, and I think we probably all are familiar with that text right at the end of the the book of Judges. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. We know that verse. Interestingly, I've just read a biography of Eugene Peterson, who. Um, who paraphrased the Bible, the message, you, uh, you, I'm sure you know that. The very last verse of the Bible that he paraphrased and he'd completed the whole of the Bible was that one. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. But let's look at the details first of all. Let's see what's, what's happening here. Ehud had subdued Moab and the land had rest for 80 years. We, we read the book of Judges. It's not a long book and it sort of happens all very quickly. But, of course, there's a length of time. Eighty years of rest. And then the man called Shamgar defeated the Philistines. Things were going well. But when Ehud died, the children of Israel started to do evil again. Evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay? They they may have felt, it's okay, you know, we're doing what everybody else is doing. But in the sight of the Lord, they were doing evil. So the Lord sold them into Canaanite authority. The commander of the Canaanites was a man called Sisera. And um, the situation became desperate. And all the Israelites felt it. They were aware of it. Their plight really was quite grim. Uh, And we've just read in in Judges chapter 5. It was unsafe to travel on the highways. Village life ceased. I don't know whether it's because it wasn't good to be isolated and cut off. Village life ceased. And then there were new idols and and idolatrous gods began to be worshipped. Situation was such they had no defensive weapons. They were being greatly oppressed by the Canaanites. And yet, interestingly, despite all of this in verses 10 and 11, we read that the people were were prosperous and wealthy, but they turned away from God. They knew, though, that the oppression was getting more and more harsh, so they began to cry out to the Lord. We're back to that cycle. And that's where Deborah comes on the scene. Israel was defenseless. They had no warriors. They had no weapons. But Deborah, this prophetess she's called, Deborah comes on the scene. A prophetess, a judge. And and, and she called this man Barak and said, Look, we... You've got to do something. You've got to, you've got to lead us into battle against the Canaanites. But he was, he was weak. And, uh, well, if one's going to be honest, he was pathetic, really. What is it about men? So often, you know, we just, just I don't know, we, 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 we sort of, we're spineless. And especially in this generation, where are the, the sort of Christian men who really rise up and be leaders. Barak said, oh, I'm not going into battle without you, Deborah. Well, the two of them together appealed to the tribes, to unite, the tribes of Israel, to unite in battle against the Canaanites. And there was a wonderful victory for the Israelites. The Lord routed Sisera's army. And he used basically two women, Deborah. And this lady, Jael, who, <laughs> this wonderful description when you read it earlier, you know, she, she bashed a nail through Sisera's head. We we love the gore, don't we? And um, uh, she was very clever. She drew Sisera into this Kenite tent and there he was killed. Actually, what was happening is um, is a tremendous defeat that was going to represent a victory for the people of God. Against the idolatrous nation of the Canaanites. Uh, there was a big contrast what was going on in the tent of, uh, of uh, jail, this lady, and what was going on in the Canaanite palace where there was the, the mother of the commander of the army who was about to be killed. Ralph, um, Dale Ralph Davis, and his commentaries are always well worth reading. He divides this chapter up very helpfully into three sections. Verses 2 to 11, he says, it's the all-powerful God and weak people. Verses 11b, the second part of verse 11 through to 23, it's the zealous tribes and the timid tribes. So you get a contrast again. And the third contrast, verses 24 to verse 30, a daring woman and a despairing woman. The daring woman jailed, the despairing woman, uh, the mother in the palace. Sisera's mother was wondering, she, she's looking out of the palace and she thinks it's time that my son Sisera was back. What, what's the matter? And you can um, you get the the ladies who are serving her in the palace they're, they're trying to console her and they're, they're, they're coming up with possible reasons why she's being so, so delayed you know they'll be dividing the spoil uh, they'll be raping the women uh, they'll, be, um, they'll be bringing back some precious garments for your wardrobe but of course as time passes she's going to hear the terrible truth as far as she's concerned that her son the commander has been killed it was a famous victory for the Israelites though To be honest, it was only a partial victory in the sense that there wasn't a real restoration back to the the things of God. But it did honour the Lord. That's the point. Desperate people and a sufficient God placed together and a great victory comes, comes about. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. For we... We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us up from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Now, what I want to argue is that what is happening here... Okay, it's it's ancient history. But God is not stuck in Sinai. God is not stuck in the Old Testament. What God did in the Old Testament is not something that can never be replicated. The same God can work with great victories today as he did all those centuries before. The same God who is victorious... I honestly believe we can still see bringing about great victories in our day and age. It's not just something we read to sort of move us emotionally. No. God who delivered the Israelites at the Red Sea and now who delivers them at uh, the waters of Megiddo, I really do believe that God can work again. It's interesting as well, just a little note. Look at verse 20. Um, The torrent of Sorry, they fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. So God is at work and the stars in the heavens, they're working against Sisera. Just note it down if you're making notes. Job 5 verse 23. There it talks about the cursed ground becoming an ally for God. And I love the thought that, yes, the God who's in heaven... Yes, he can be at work, but actually the ground beneath the people who are fighting, they can be. It's the same truth from opposite sides. Okay, so they're the details of what what happened. But now let's debrief. I don't know whether you do debriefing in United Beach missions. I I love the fact I think it's fairly unique. But uh, in United Beach missions, uh, a mission would last for a week. So you start on the first day. The next morning, usually over breakfast, there is what we call constructive comments. And we debrief. They can be great fun. They can be very humbling. But they can be great fun. As you go over every part of the the program quickly. Now, how did we do there? How were the games? Well, what about this? Don't you think we could have? And we go through the whole thing. We look at what went well. And why it went well. What went badly? And the first day usually there's a lot. But how we can improve that. What are our weaknesses? What are our strengths? What was the outcome? And I I would beg us all, in a spirit of love, it's not nastiness. And it's not being overcritical. It's seeking just to improve and to be better. Debrief. Look at what you did. Days outreach. How could we have improved it? We will debrief about this uh, these few days together. How can we? And and it may mean that, you know, they'll say, oh, Roger, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done. And it's usually pointed against me. But it's good for me. It is good for me. We need to be learning. We need to be corrected. We need, can I go one step further? We need to be rebukable. The natural reaction whenever somebody criticizes is we defend ourselves. And we were always taught, certainly in the United Beach Missions all those years ago when I was a teenager, don't try and defend yourself till 24 hours has gone. Because actually, give it 24 hours and you begin to see, mm, yeah, they were right. But the natural immediate reaction is you defend yourself. But you never learn like that. And we can always improve, and there are always things we can be doing to improve. So let's look at Deborah's debrief. I know this is a a song of praise, but nevertheless, it is a debrief. She begins by blessing God for all that has been done. And actually, she ends like that as well. She blesses God. This was God's battle. It's God's victory. God is the one who brought about the defeat of the Canaanites. She was aware that the battle was won between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. Not just a physical battle at Megiddo. I think we can apply that to ourselves and we will very shortly. It's interesting, a quick overview. We have four tribes who were appealed to come together. Let's go into battle. Four tribes who didn't volunteer at all. There were, however, some tribes, and we'll look at them in a moment, who immediately responded and followed and fought. Some risked their lives. They really did go into the very forefront of the battle. But then there were others who gave the call to arms, serious consideration, but they just backed off. And there were some tribes who appear never to have heard the call at all and Deborah debriefs. So let's look at it. Verse 14. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. Hmm. I don't know whether you want to turn over or just trust me on this. Psalm 78 verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back In the day of battle, they did not keep the covenants of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. And actually, you can do a little study all the way through the Old Testament. And you find that the Ephraimites are always backing out, always ducking the real battle. So Ephraim gone down in history as the nation that refused to do anything, really. Look at verse 17, Asher. Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Huh. So Asher, this tribe, just seemed concerned about their own needs. They stayed by the seashore, to put it in modern parlance. Um, Gavin, you know, they, they were by the pool. Okay, they just thought, right, let's sunbathe and we'll just stay by the pool. They, they, they're having a good life. You know, why, why, why leave the seashore, the comfort, the sunshine, and all the rest? They refused to go into battle. Look at verse 16. Reuben. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flocks, the divisions of Reuben, have great searchings of heart? Hmm, so Reuben. The tribe was just like the father, Reuben, you know, Joseph's son. Morally weak, content to stay in peaceful enjoyment. You know, the great searchings of heart, but yeah, we're not going to do anything. And um, we just look after the flock. They had acquired wealth and comfort, and they were quite happy to rest in that amongst the sheep. They were not going to go and do battle. Look at verse 23. This is very serious. Curse Meroz said the angel of the Lord. This is not just... Deborah's reflection and debriefing now. This is the Lord. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord. To the help of the Lord against the mighty. They wanted to save their lives and in effect they lost them. They certainly lost the joy of being involved in the Lord's work and the Lord's battle. And and what's it say? Curse. What a strong word. Curse meros. And then it's repeated. Look at verse 17. Gilead and Dan. They stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? So they just carried on living as if there was no battle, as if there was no war. Let's just carry on. We're on our ships. We're doing our thing. And then, what a contrast. Verse 18. Zebulun is a people who jeopardised their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also, on the heights of the battlefield. Oh wow, two tribes who, who, who went the extra mile, who, who said, "Right, you, you have us lock, stock and barrel." It's interesting, Deborah, she really plays herself down. She doesn't particularly talk about it, awake, awake, Deborah, etc. But she's not talking about herself. If anybody is a particularly blessed people, yes, it's these tribes and it's jail. But primarily, God gets the glory. and And the nation of Israel... Relish the fact that they'd got this great victory, they'd now got peace, they enjoyed the benefits of it, but the vast majority of the tribes of the nation of Israel were not part of the acquiring of the blessing. Well, there we are. So what's the deal for us today? What's you, you, we read this, it's ancient history, yes, we know about this. Well, I think the lessons are fairly obvious, but let's just muse on them a little. Here's Deborah. She's a prophetess. She's a warrior. She's a poet. We've got that here. She's called a mother in Israel. And I really do believe she is an instructor to the church. This isn't just ancient history. This is a lesson for us today. She identified the cause of Israel as the cause of Israel's God. So what was going on in the nation of Israel was really all about what God was doing on planet Earth. And to my mind, the application, I'm, I'm not saying Israel equals the church, but to identify the cause of the church as the cause of the church God, I think we need to keep in mind all the time. So yes, we are called to be Christians. We are called to work together corporately and to live individually as people who are sons and daughters of God. Now, as we live and how we live, we are going to reflect and we trust radiate something of the very person of God to the people round about. I think that's one lesson and it is to do with the glory of God. But I think there's another one as well and I am individualizing it here. Romans 14, 12 teaches us that we shall all give account to God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so by fire. We have gathered together as people who are mostly involved in full time evangelism, but we are all here because we have a, a commitment to serve the Lord and make the gospel known. Some of us have been Christians a long time, some of us much more recently. But I found there is a tremendous temptation that I often fall into. That yes, when I started out in my Christian life, there was such such zeal, such enthusiasm, maybe such optimism that may have been, as David pointed out, a a naivety. But nevertheless, oh, was it Craig? I forgot one of you. The the naivety of starting out and you think you're going to do this, that, and the. But you carry on in the Christian life, and it's so easy for the routine. To become a rut. You just slowly follow the daily drudgery. Of living the Christian life. Instead of the sense that. Wow I have been saved. I've been called by God into ministry. I have the daily privilege of living. And speaking for the Lord Jesus Christ. And serving him. Instead of that attitude we sort of get up and I don't know maybe you have your quiet time you just go through the motions of it and you've got this to do and that to do letters to write telephone calls to make etc perhaps some visits perhaps go and give some track whatever it is but there's no sense of wow the Lord has called me to be involved in his battles not battles with swords or machine guns but battles for the souls of men and women and I think this is a huge danger that I have Nothing gives me greater joy, I've got to say, than, um, than talking to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the, the Saturday before Christmas, we, um, some of us went on one of these go days to Keithley. I think I mentioned it the other day. And um, do you know, I came back totally exhausted, but absolutely exhilarated. The first thing I did like that was earlier in the year... Um, uh, and I went to the Great Yorkshire Show. Matthew came as well. And uh, we're at the Great Yorkshire Show, this vast agricultural show. 150,000 people go there. And we had a little stand, the Farming Christian Link, right on the edge, next to where the sheep were being judged. And it was four days long and literally on my feet, nine hours a day for four days, giving out tracts, trying to talk to people. And uh, every day I came back... Totally shattered, and I thought, "Oh, wasn't that just wonderful? Absolutely, wo-. and it was." <laughs> I talked to one person on on, on the Wednesday, and um, she was a student. She was helping, just stewarding, and uh, gave her a booklet. Had a lovely chat with her. I, I'm always a little wary to say to a uh, you know a, a, a young female student, you know, "Shall we pray together?" And I let her sort of go, and I said, oh, I'd love to see you again before so we would chat again. And, yeah, all that day then I thought, oh, I should have said, shall we pray to trust the Lord? She was right on the bridge, guys. Just, thought, oh, wonderful, after these months of lockdown. And then Thursday, what a day Thursday was. Um, it, I, I don't know whether you've been to these agricultural shows, but you get some people who dress very casually, and it was good weather, but you get some people who really dressed, you know, bowler hats and everything, bow ties, et cetera. And a guy came along, Dressless, just like that. And I offered him a little uh, booklet. And he went into his inside pocket of his jacket and he pulled out something that was wrapped in cloth and he, he undid the cloth like this. And he'd got a New Testament. Oh, it may have been a Bible. I forgot the whole Bible. He said, I read this every day. I said, oh, that's wonderful. And uh, we carried on talking. Then he said, uh, I used to be, sorry, Derek, but he said, I used to belong to the Church of England, but they've departed from this book, so I've stopped going there, he said. And, uh, and then he said, he didn't know the word worldly, but he said, um, I used to have a television, but it's just worldly. That's what he meant to say, and he said, I've just got rid of this. So what, what an amazing conversation, you see. So we carried on talking. The more we talked, I realised this man hadn't trusted Christ at all. And we, we went through the gospel and I gave him a little orange book over there, What is a Christian? And I said to him, will you will you get in touch when you've read it? Tell me what you think. And the next morning, I got an email. He'd read the book. He'd trusted the Lord. It was just, just wonderful. The, the, later on that day, I've just got to tell you this. I know some of you know it. But uh, uh, a, a guy came across to judge the sheep, you see. And um, Trevor there... Um, he said, oh, I'm just going to go and give him a tract, didn't you, Trevor? And it was the Yorkshire tract. I said, you won't get anywhere near him. And um, But anyway, he ran across. And uh, a few minutes later, he said, I gave it to him. And I said, really? I said, what did he say? And he said to you, did you write this? And and, and you said, no, that guy <laughs> over here, he wrote it. Well, sure enough, uh, I thought, well, that's marvellous. Prince Charles has got, um, um, what is it? Um, I've forgotten the name, the track, the one about Yorkshire anyway, that one, and um, um, a little place of, he- uh, 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 what is it, a bit of heaven on earth in Yorkshire, thank you very much. Anyway, eventually came out of the pens where all these sheep were, and it was a big wide thoroughfare, wasn't it, and uh, for some reason he should have walked down the centre, but no, he walked straight across to me, and uh, so I was able to give him a little book, and um so corny, I said, oh, it's all about the Prince of Peace. And as soon as I said it, I thought, oh, Roger, you are corny. (laughs) And, uh, well, who knows whether he read it or not. I have no idea. But, actually, you do know, you can be involved in Christian work, because during the the pandemic, I wasn't just sitting at home, twiddling my thumbs. You know, I was trying to read, I was trying to study, I was trying to prepare, I was writing letters to non-Christians and doing things, etc. But, Suddenly, we have the opportunity for eyeball-to-eyeball evangelism. And guys, girls as well, look, if we are called into evangelistic work, I beg us all not to forsake eyeball-to-eyeball evangelism. However you do it, Ziggy, you know, going up to people and say, can I talk to you about Jesus? Great. I've got a friend uh, in Leeds who, who does very much the same thing, just goes straight up and no messing around. got a friend who does door-to-door work and he knocks on the door and when they open the door, he says that. I wonder if you would talk just for two minutes about Jesus. Well, okay, it's not quite my style. I'm a little bit more hesitant. But, but you know, so I use tracks and booklets, etc. But there's nothing like lifting the soul As when you're talking to people about Christ. I beg us not to be just the people of God, but actually to be engaged in real battle, real evangelism, real talking to people about Christ. That's the deal. The people here who are commended are indeed these two tribes, wonderful, Zebulon and Naphtali, who who are willing to risk their lives. And it's is—it's embarrassing. Sometimes it means you lose your reputation. But I love the fact that it says of the Lord Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. It wasn't just accidentally losing it. It was almost a deliberate thing because the reputation of the world isn't a thing to be grasped anyway. He he, he went out of his way to, to, to do what his father had called him to do, even if it meant for him being humbled in the eyes of the people round about. And it may mean that for us. You knock on the door and they, you know, I don't know, they can be rude or just disinterested and it can at times be very painful. You give a tract, I've had this happen so many times and it really hurts me every time. They, they take it and they rip it up in front of you. And, and the, I don't know, it just does something to me when that happens. But there is a drudgery in Christian living if you're not doing Eyeball to eyeball evangelism. That's my experience. And and to be able to come back uh, at the end of a day and think, well, okay, I had to do this, I had to do that, and, but I did have the opportunity to speak here. To my mind, it lifts the day. So don't be somebody who's just sort of hanging back from the real battle. Anyway, let's draw out four quick conclusions, then I'll, I'll, I'll finish. I think we need to remind ourselves, because we are called into spiritual warfare, we're called... You know, we're we're called soldiers, aren't we? Likened to soldiers. There is a spiritual warfare. And you you all know, I don't mean, you know, being nasty and horrible and, and going out to do the sort of crusades type work. No, but spiritual warfare. Let's remind ourselves that at all times the battle is the Lord's. What we are doing is God's work. As it happens, we find ourselves at a period of history in Britain when it's particularly tough to do the Lord's work. We're not particularly, there may be some glorious exceptions, but we're not particularly finding people coming up to us and saying, what must I do to be saved? Or, as Craig said, you know, uh, somebody coming and saying, uh, what is the reason for the hope that lies within you? We're not finding that. Incidentally on that, that's the verse that people who call themselves apologists always use. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. And, and they sort of use it and say, well, Professor so-and-so said we can believe this bit of the Bible. And Professor so-and-so said this, so it must be a... That isn't the reason for the hope that lies within us. The reason for the hope that lies within us is that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And he offers forgiveness to those who repent and believe. That's the reason. It's not a, it's not a verse to defend apologetics. It's a verse to drive us to the proclamation of the cross. Now, we have no right to spend our time sort of debating with one another. We love to do it. There's there's nothing wrong in in sort of a a measure with a limit on it. Spend our times just debating with other Christians about this minutiae of doctrine uh, compared with that one, compared with this one. It's almost as if people feel the Great Commission is to sit down over a latte and discuss theology. That is not the Great Commission. Commission, the great commission is to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. That's what it's all about. But it does seem to me that Western Christianity has become incredibly introspective. And and there's so much division. And they are over, well, endless genealogies, let's put it like that. That is not what we're all about. We are, if you want, to smite the enemy, not, I don't know, Not to have defeats because of friendly fire or not so much friendly fire between ourselves. We are to be people who are about proclamation, making Jesus known. Now, if we are, as it were, traveling in the same direction as the Lord is, we will find that we're in conflict with people round about us, with the world. And there will be those who are opposed to us and those who are cynical and those who want to pull us down or silence us. But nobody has any right to intimidate us into being quiet about the gospel. This is our father's world. Anywhere and everywhere, it is right to make Christ known. There is no exception to that. The NHS has no right to say to a doctor or a nurse, you cannot witness. Now, I understand that, you know, they have to do it with wisdom. And they are there as medics. But the greatest act of friendship we can show anybody is to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the greatest act of tyranny is to know the gospel and to be silent about it. So nobody has any right to say, no, you can't say that here. If we're speaking about the Lord Jesus and all that he accomplished on the cross. Who is on the Lord's side is a question that still needs to be asked And answered today, there is a battle going on, it's the Lord's battle, we are the Lord's people, therefore, to hold back and to just think, oh, should I go into battle, should I do this? Or to say, no, 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 I'll be comfortable by the sea, I'm in my ship, I can't do it, I've got plenty of sheep to look after. No, 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 there's a battle and we need to make sure that on a daily basis we are involved in it. So the first lesson, I think, is to remember that this is the Lord's battle. Second, the most significant thing happening in the world today is the battle for the Lord's victory. Now, that isn't on the front pages of our newspapers. It's not on their headline of the BBC or ITV or Sky or even GB News. But the most significant thing happening in the world is the battle for the Lord's victory. There is a spirit of fear around. And and again, that can intimidate us. Oh, I don't know whether I dare say something. I might lose their friendship. They might. But actually, perfect love, which comes from the Father, and surely should emanate through us to others, casts out that fear. I wonder if we see those we rub shoulders with. The person we meet when we're paying at a supermarket checkout. The person there taking, taking the money. The person we rub short. The person we stand next to on a bus. The person we sit next to on a train. Do we see these as men and women who in 100 years time will be either with the Lord or lost forever? I have to say the thought of hell and I know David has brought this out in some of your sermons recently and it concurs exactly with how I feel. The thought of hell forever and ever and ever it sends a deep shiver down my spine we've quoted Dante already today but abandon hope all ye who enter here and I have close relatives who if they were to die today as far as I know would be lost forever The church has moved away from even mentioning hell or speaking about hell or warning about hell and yet you read the Lord Jesus and he who loved the most warned the most. Now this isn't to be such that we become sort of paranoid and and almost manic in our evangelism. There is a resting in the Lord and resting in his will but there's also an urgency. We have the most wonderful message in the world. It needs to be got out to men and women who are lost and dying. When truth is in danger, and it is in Britain today as far as the church is concerned and as far as the society is concerned, the easy thing to do is to do what Pilate did, just wash your hands of it. But washing your hands dirties the water. And that's all. It doesn't abrogate you from the responsibility of making Christ known. So actually, if you are praying for somebody to trust the Saviour and witnessing to them, that actually is more important than what may be happening to Boris Johnson in Parliament today. I don't know what's going on there today. But that really is more important because that has eternal significance. Thirdly, the greatest privilege is to be involved in the Lord's battles when I began full-time evangelism, I'd been a school teacher for 11 years, and really, <laughs> i just taught RE, actually. <laughs> and in those days, all you ever did was teach the Bible, which was great. There was a bit of pressure on, in the later years, that I had to ta- start teaching um, different religions. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that. But then Scripture Union brought out... You young people now will be lost. You won't know what I'm talking about. They brought out... Um, a film strip. It's a sort of old fashioned video. It's just one step beyond the magic lantern. And they brought out a a film strip. He wound it on and showed little pictures. (laughs) And it was called Turning Points. And it showed how, I think, a Muslim, a Hindu, and a Buddhist became Christians. There were three testimonies. So when the inspectors came round and said, Now, Mr. Carswell, uh, uh, we're supposed to be teaching comparative religion. What comparative religion are you doing? So I said, Well, I do Christianity, and I do Judaism. Which, actually, that was the Old Testament, but anyway. And um, and then I, I mentioned these other three. And all I did was show a film strip, and you know, they were happy. I got away with it. I realize you couldn't do that these days. But um, uh, the, 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 what was going on was incredibly significant then. But then I moved into full-time evangelism. And I remember the first day or week or month, I've forgotten how long, waking up in the morning thinking, oh, wow. All day, all day, is just set aside for the Lord's work. I don't have to mark books and I don't have to, etc. And it was such a privilege. But you see, that's 40 years ago now. And you start to lose that. And it's, okay, we've got to do this today. I've got to write to these letters today. I've got to, etc. Instead of thinking, wow, this is a privilege. And it is. Each of us we're involved in the Lord's work what a privilege you may just be teaching a little group of Sunday school pupils who are five, six, seven and not particularly paying much attention that is incredibly significant you might be reaching a group of elderly people in a care home most of whom can't even hear you and if they can hear you they have no idea what you're saying but nevertheless it's significant if you're pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ verse 23 interesting it's not a phrase we would use in our sort of circles but curse Meros said the angel of the Lord curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the the help of the Lord. We don't think like that. But that's how they, the, the word talks. About. The Lord is working in us and through us. And and he's working with us. We're co-laborers together with him. And he uh, is working in us and through us. It's a wonderful parallel. How do we do it? Well, we pray. And again, I don't know about you, but this morning... I. I I couldn't sleep, you know, Vinny beat me at table tennis, only by two points, and I think he cheated on the two, but it upset me, you know, and I couldn't get to sleep, etc., and when I went to bed at one, about half past two, I still wasn't asleep, at four o'clock I got up, and uh, no wonder I'm talking gibberish now, but anyway, <laughs> and to keep praying, I just, I walked, I don't know how many times I walked around that room. Etc., praying out loud and saying, Lord, I pray about these things. Some of them I've prayed about for years and still not been answered. Lord, why? And then I prayed about Armenia. Lord, why? Don't, these are your people, please. And you sort of go through. And, and in all my praying this morning, I sort of felt, But Lord, why aren't you answering in a, in a greater way? But I have to say as well, the Lord does answer prayers, sometimes very rapidly. And other times, just hangs on. First church service uh, I took this year, a, a man trusted the Lord, and it wasn't particularly an evangelistic message, but I just felt, oh, wow, right at the beginning of the year, I really prayed, Lord, we want to see fruit through preaching. And the Lord said, okay, there's one, Roger. Now I want to see a lot more than that. But he does answer prayer. I wonder if, um, if Stephen had not prayed when he was being martyred, would it have been... Saul of Tarsus? Well, okay, you can argue theologically, but you get the point. God heard Stephen's prayer, and Saul was converted and became the great Apostle Paul. We help the Lord. We pray. We go out in dependence upon him. And we proclaim. And I beg us, those of you who've heard me before, you know I often say this, keep To the gospel. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Luke 24, it's down there um, on, on the banner. The Lord Jesus tells us what is the message that we are to be preaching when we preach the gospel. It is his sufferings, his resurrection, repentance and forgiveness of sins. And in every gospel message, somehow we pave a way to the cross and explain how when he suffered, he was carrying our sin. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. God commands all men, all women everywhere to repent and receive forgiveness. Those four ingredients are vital. Now, the danger is we we detract, we we subtract. Often... I get sent tracts, Will you just have a look at this manuscript as a, a, a tract. Virtually every tract I look at, I make the comment, "Oh, there's no resurrection, or there's no substitutionary atonement, etc. It's amazing what we miss out in explaining the gospel. But there's another danger as well that we can add to it. Remember, God said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go the trouble is there's a a chapter or so's gap before we read him going and so we miss miss it go and see what Moses said he went to Pharaoh and he said let my people go or else God is going to punish us in this way and that God never said that why did he add it to the message he gave to Pharaoh the danger of subtracting because we want to make it more palatable and the danger of adding because I don't know we want to make it more forceful both are wrong The cross and the resurrection. Repentance and forgiveness. Warren Wiersbe. Wrote a. Well he often used this phrase. It's always too soon to quit. But he he wrote a very helpful book. Entitled. It's always too soon to quit. He uses in the book. The illustration of the fishermen. Who toiled all night. And caught nothing. And then Jesus said. Cast your net on the other side. And they cast. And of course 153 fish were caught. And. How far away were they from catching this great shoal of fish? Just the width of a boat. They were so near and they'd given up and cast the net on the other side. But let me just read a few phrases from that book. We live on promises, not explanations. God is good all the time. Outlook determines outcome. What God begins, he will complete. Face the facts, but keep living by faith. Keep growing, and you can keep on going. Stay long enough to bloom where you are planted. It's a great book, and it's full of things like that. And I don't know, the, the pressure we're under because of the, the, the sort of secularism of today and the hardness and the fear and the disinterest and, and what we're bombarded with in this sort of woke world in which we live can very well lead us to think, I'm just getting nowhere. It's, it's worthless, it's, it's drudgery, why should I go to battle? But we are involved in something that is a huge privilege. Angels would love to do what we're doing. And one last thought. You get it in this passage in Judges 5. The honour for the victory goes to the Lord. It goes to the Lord. There's a sort of renewal of praise. And actually, that's always a mark of victory and revival. When, when God is doing great things, it's much easier to praise praise. Look at verse uh, 31. I think it's interesting. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. The s- eastern sun with all its radiance and with all its power. Lord, we, we, we want that. And it talks about the enemies in this passage. The transient state of the enemies. They're soon gone. We think they're altogether mighty and powerful. They're soon gone. You know, we, we do have something very wonderful in, in the gospel, and nothing else equals it. What Martin shared yesterday um, j- just demonstrated that. I heard David Starkey a week or so ago on, um, on GB News, and he was talking about wokeism. And he said, remember he's an atheist, but he said, wokeism is a new religion. The only thing is though, it doesn't have repentance, it doesn't have resurrection, it doesn't have salvation. I thought, wow, well that's a very discerning thing to say. I'd also add, it doesn't have eternity. But we have. We have repentance and forgiveness. We have a resurrected living saviour. We have salvation, that's forgiveness isn't it? And all that's bound up in it. And we have eternity. So look, we're involved in a battle. Yes, it can be tough. Yes. But it's the Lord's battle. And the Lord can bring about a victory greater than we could ever imagine. And in the end, yes, he gets all the glory. But let's not be like those tribes that held back. Rather, if it needs be, we'll, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll put our lives into jeopardy. We'll lay them on the altar. We'll say, Lord, just bind me to the altar. But I want to be involved in the work that you have in this day, this generation, to make your name glorious, to defeat your enemies and bring honour to your name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, well certainly I, and I imagine most of us here, Lord, have to confess at times we get really disheartened and really discouraged and the pressures seem immense and they seem to weigh us down and they lead us to a feeling of drudgery. Oh God, please forgive us. And may we, well, eternity seems to have been a strong theme. Lord, may we have our eyes on eternity. Not just eternity, on the one who inhabits eternity, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we don't feel like going into battle, Lord, prod us and poke us and, Send us into the the fray, Lord, because we know actually when we're there, there's such encouragement, such joy, such blessing. Father, we thank you for each other. We pray for each one's ministry. And we pray that this year would be a great year where we walk with you and we make the Lord Jesus Christ known. You know about our families. You know about our localities. You know about our church situations. You know about our ministries. Lord, we commit them all to you. And whatever battles there might be, and sometimes they're very painful, Lord, help us to fight for victory, for your honour, in your strength, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be pleased as he sees men and women, not only coming to him, but being built up and made like him. So we commit ourselves to you, thanking you for this time, and thank you for this word, in Jesus' name, Amen.